Hello there. Michelle Rado here, back with our second episode of Daring to Tell, true stories read by the writers who lived them. This week, I've been looking back a bit in my journals, as I do from time to time, to kind of realign myself, look at where I've been and see how did I get to where I am. And in fact, it was six years ago this month that I had GI surgery. Yep, it was something that Nadine Kenny Johnstone had alluded to in last week's episode, and it's why I've based a lot of my writing that I've been doing around my gut, feeling my gut and following my gut. Well, I found one entry that was about three or four weeks after my surgery while I was at home in my early recovery days when I wrote this, which I'm just going to basically read to you out of my journal because it feels like its own little complete synopsis of this very podcast. Here we go. Stories of complexity and kindness. If I do my own writing podcast enterprise, that could be a good overriding theme. I can create multiple entries, tales, truths of observing and retelling stories of complexity and kindness. Complexity is the backstory. Kindness is the future action. So that was back in 2015, and I guess this whole thing has indeed been kicking around in my head for a while. I love it when I get a little glimpse of myself from a Michelle of the past. That was someone who was in her infancy days of really beginning to feel her gut. And she's pretty precious to me. So that is a great prelude to the next writer we're going to hear from today, a woman who has a lot of guts, if you ask me. Rachel Lee has just put up a brand new website. It is called thisisgettingold.com. Put dashes between each one of those words. This is getting old. And her website is a tremendous act of generosity the generosity of sharing her experience and resources related to elder caregiving. And boy, does her backstory have some complexity. I'm actually going to try to condense it for you a little bit before we get going. Rachel and her husband had their son in early 2011. And in August, Rachel lost parental figure number one, the wife of a couple who had been lifelong, very close family friends. In October, Rachel's father-in-law died. In November of 2012, they lost another parental figure on her husband's side, basically a stepfather. In April of 2013, Rachel's other parental figure died, the husband of that first elder who had passed away. I guess she kind of got a brief respite, if you want to call it that, but that was when she had to move her own parents out of their home under financial duress. And then in October of 2015, her own dad died. Each one of those stories has its own complexity, but Rachel's future actions after going through death after death after death 
have all been ones of extraordinary kindness. But get ready, she has got a potty mouth and takes a no hold prisoners barred. What is that? I can't get that little saying right. She takes a hold no prisoners approach. I don't know if I like that, but she just plows forward, let's say that. So with that today, I introduce you to Rachel Lee and her irreverent elder care insights. The first death I went through, I was passive and deferential just because they're my elder, right? And they know what they're doing. And then I quickly realized they didn't. I was like, holy shit, get out of my way. Like, I'm taking over now for the next one. So I would recommend to anybody going through this stuff that you do sort of have to take on a certain persona and embrace the role reversal with your elders. Be brave when it comes to negotiating the medical system. But then, you know, maybe go to the soft side, which I'm not so good at. Like, say your I love yous and do the hugs and the kissing and don't make your family members cry when you're really, really hardcore, you know. Nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave except doing what makes me scared. Nothing's gonna break my fall There's nothing in the protocol It's like swimming up a waterfall Or taking away the ground Okay, me and all the stuffed animals crammed in here. Oh, you sound great now. Oh, yeah? Good. Yeah, stuffed animals are great for soundproofing. <laughs> We're both in these cozy little spaces. Are you comfortable? I just want you to be comfortable. <laughs> now I'm comfortable. I got big bears in my pillow. <laughs> I'm kicking back. I'm good. All right. Okay. Illicit <laughs> nourishment. So, Rachel, since I've known you, we know you as the the irreverent elder, elder something. Hair, <laughs> something or other, and it's... You're irreverent. It is funny. And it's about, you have had, I I mean, when you were outlining all the death that you had happened to you, it was like one after the next, all these Mm -hmm. people. And so maybe just tell a little bit about that. Sure. And a fun way to describe that is maybe to start with the present, which is this has been a 10-year process, which it ends with, the end of the story is, and now my 86-year-old mother was diagnosed with recurring breast cancer. And so it goes on. <laughs> but, you know, to back up part of it, um, I always start with it's not tragedy. It's the accident of the fact that my husband and I are both 10-year surprise babies. Yeah. So we had much older parents. And then I had a second set of parents who were childless. And they were, you know, like parents to me. And Dave had a late-in-life stepfather. So seven people that we called parents and that we were part of our life in that way. And so that meant when they all went into their 80s, it was just like dominoes. So it just happened that we had just had my son on January 1st, 2011. 
And even then, at that point, the first uh, person was already failing. And she went in August. Dave's dad went two months later. His stepdad went a year later. My father figure went the year after that. My dad held in there like my dad does. (laughs) But he was gone in 2015, which was immediately followed by the death of our deaf dog, which is also sort of part of our journey. Um, And that was all within the first five years of my son's life. So, you know, the positive is that my son has a very integrated experience with the cycle of life and participating in it and actually bringing joy to those moments. But yeah, yeah, I learned a lot and I find that I'm either solicited a lot for that information or I just find myself offering it all day long because you don't know what you don't know. And when I can, if I can shortcut other people's learning process, it's just very meaningful to me. Well, and yeah, so it was really, as I, as you listed off all those things, I'm thinking it was like a crash course in preparing for the end of life, which is a thing that, you know, uh, most of us don't, ever want to talk about <laughs> I know there's the um Roz Chast book the right. can't we talk about something more pleasant or <laughs> exactly. title something to that effect yep. exactly. so the fact that you have really um you I say you dove in you didn't necessarily have a choice <laughs> but it was thrust upon you all the end of life stuff and you have embraced it and run with it and learn yeah. stuff and care about sharing it. And that's the thing that I admire and really I'm so curious to hear more and talk about more with you because I just think it's, I'm, I'm all about talking about the stuff that we don't really usually talk about. Stuff. Right. Exactly. That's what I love about your podcast and your premises. You know, for me, this is very normative and it's very easy and natural to talk about, but I know for most people it's not. So it's sort of, I, I really appreciate you having this forum where we can have a space to just say, hey, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Well, that seems like to me a good chance to say, shall we? Rachel, you want to go there? Let's, <laughs> we, why don't you read? Sh- I will read. Okay. Elicit nourishment. Five years ago, when I was 42, I got a call from a nursing home manager in New York State who reported that my father was smoking cigarettes in his room with his younger brother. Your father, I was informed, will be forced to leave if the infractions continue. As family representative, I had to field these calls and manage their consequences. That meant my full-time job and my own family life were disrupted while I picked up the pieces again. I was furious. After decades of role reversal moments like this one, I was increasingly used to and increasingly intolerant of dad's narcissistic self-imposed drama. The fact that he might get himself evicted from his nursing home was just a repeat of when I had to evict him from his own home. I had taken over the mortgage on my parents' decaying ranch to wipe their credit card and used car loan debts, impressively modest given dad's midlife unemployability and mom's meager piano teaching income. My parents had no assets, no investments, no retirement funds, no pensions, no savings, and only poverty-level Social Security checks. And my husband and I already had the equivalent of two mortgages, one for our Boston condo and the other for our toddler's monthly preschool payment, no significant savings, and only the questionable security, as dad's experiences taught me, of two full-time jobs. During this period, for lack of his own job to dress for and depart to, Dad would sit in the large leather recliner that fit his big and tall frame, 
and read books, listen to classical music, nurse his anger and depression, and nourish himself by chain-smoking bargain cartons of cigarettes and sucking down liters of gin bought on sale. When his body began deteriorating, along with his emotional and psychological states, I had to find an affordable support solution for him and permanent relief for my mother. I sent her to my sister in Virginia for a break, and I called the only two people I thought could tolerate my father while I solved for his daily needs from a distance. His younger brother and sister did not disappoint, arriving from Michigan immediately and willing to stay at the house indefinitely. But indefinitely turned out to be a few days. They took away his smokes, his lighter, his booze, and his portable urinal, insisting on reversing years of degenerative behavior in one week. They demoralized dad. He swore at his sister. She slapped him. In a validation of how much dad's immediate family had suffered and how conditional sibling relationships can be, my aunt called to lambase me and my mother for putting up with his shit and then abandoned her big brother alone at home. When I made dad move to an apartment where there were Medicaid-funded aides on site and a daycare for elders down the street, which is a poor man's assisted living, I was glad to give him a clean slate in a freshly painted one bedroom with newly installed carpets. But when I returned one month later with my toddler and husband, dad had already converted the oasis into a toxic reflection of his own misery. The whole place was soaked in secondhand smoke. He'd been driving a scooter to the nearest convenience and liquor stores to spend his meager discretionary money on cigarettes and gin. The irony was not lost on me that the organic strawberries I was so fastidious about feeding my son for his own nourishment created the first stain on the new carpets when the oppressive air from dad's preferred sustenance made his grandson vomit. It was the elder care program that evicted dad into his last stop at the nursing home for proving incapable that is, unwilling, to follow their protocols. Just before that, they promised him a swift and gentle demise from kidney failure, but his sturdy German genes kept him alive for four more months. His genes didn't prevent him from declining, though, so after the move to the nursing home, the meat and potatoes man was mandated pureed food to keep him from choking to death. And since alcohol was not allowed at the facility, that meant in his joyless, sinless, and bed-bound 80-year-old existence, Cigarettes, if he could get them and if he could get outside, were dad's only remaining emotional, spiritual, and physiological comfort. He had no livelihood, no church and daily bread, no gin on the rocks to take the edge off. I was furious when I got that call from the nursing home, but upon reflection, I realized there was no better way for my father to usher in what was close to being the end of his life, reconciled with a beloved brother, accepted as he was and not alone. These days, my memory has softened that moment into a touching denouement, a conciliatory cigarette offered by a sibling who spontaneously drove 600 miles to apologize and say goodbye. The adrenaline rush of illicit nourishment and boys being bad, a calming meditative yoga inhale, a nicotine-infused release, better than any fresh air or risk-free pureed food, easing dad toward death, toward relief, toward peace, with camaraderie, humor, and forgiveness. That is quite the turn. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you know, you're furious. So when did you 
come to terms with this ending for him you know yeah and and the funny part michelle is i i actually have to ask you to clarify the coming to terms part because i think how i experienced it versus how people expect me to experience were different so tell me more about what you're asking sure okay so how as i've heard this piece i see this as dad can't follow the rules dad's mm-hmm. getting kicked out first i had to kick him out then he gets kicked out you're just livid with this whole situation you sort of part the waters to get him (laughs) assisted living and he screws it up and then he screws up this relationship with his siblings they tell you you guys aren't doing it right but in this last paragraph Mm -hmm. I see this as you know what Rachel of the past (laughs) my Rachel of today says to me, here's what happened. Exactly. My dad got the things that he needed. He, he smoked cigarettes and he drank gin and he Mm -hmm. wasn't going to stop doing those things. Nope. Exactly. In his final days, he had a little comfort of the things that made him who he was that might've made him unhealthy. Mm-hmm. But that gave him the comfort that he deserved, wanted, yeah. demanded, exactly. deserved, yeah. and even yeah. deserved. That's right, deserved. Exactly. And that's where I'd work backwards from is that he needed and demanded all my life, right? And the way I talk about my dad is he was a really good guy and a really good father and a really broken man. And if we have 10 more podcasts, we can get into why. (laughs) But the point being that there's a lot of context around the generation he grew up in, the situation he grew up on that, and I think being the youngest, but also younger, my husband and I both have a lot more, um, I think, ability to forgive our parents than our older siblings do. And I think it's just because the gap is so extreme that you're sort of forced to understand why, right? Things are different. For me, I actually had talked to the nursing home and I was like, good God, just let him choke to death. Give him wheat and potatoes. And, you know, fairly they were like, that's an awful way to die. So I said, okay. (laughs) But I was definitely on the side of like, let him smoke, let him drink. I was pissed about the apartment and my puking son just because I, it was the only fresh start he was going to have. That was it. That was it. That was the last step for him and what I could provide and what he could take advantage of. And he didn't. And I think it was probably in that moment in some weird way, Michelle, that I just had to relax into like, this is it. Like, this is him. This is as good as it gets. He's got a certain number of things that he still appreciates or enjoys or can afford or whatever they are. And so have at him. So I think, um, it's complicated. Yeah. And that's, and that's the other thing that, um, for so many stories, I guess I gravitate to is it's complicated. There's Mm -hmm. no all good, all bad of no, no superheroes. Especially especially (laughs) when it comes to our family, it's like, we can be so frustrated by them, but there's this just pull to need or want or have to take care of them um Mm -hmm. and they won't listen to what we have to say or they can't Mm -hmm. or maybe it turns out we're the ones that are not listening so exactly um that's something 
that I hope we all get to at some point with the, you know, like people disappoint us in all kinds of ways and Mm -hmm. working our way towards the forgiveness is, um, it's a tough one. It really is. And I have to say that the nursing home did this beautiful job of, (laughs) I'll back into the story this way by supposedly, I'll tell the story Mm -hmm. this way now, supposedly having me on the phone when dad took his dying breath. She called and said, Rachel, I've been checking on him all day. I can tell he's going. I'm going to put the phone to his ear. Just talk to him. And like, Michelle, we're not a family. It's like, I love you, dad. But I, I said all those movie things that you're supposed to say to somebody who's dying. All of them. I was like, you were a good father and you were a good this and you're that and I'm proud of you. I love you. And then she got back on the phone and said, he's gone now. And at the time it was unbelievably beautiful, meaningful, exactly what I needed. And it was like one of the few times I cried. Now I'm like, seriously, I bet you she found him dead as a doornail. <laughs> and she just created that nice moment for me. And all this to say that the moment that I do conjure regularly is what I just ended with is I wasn't even there, but I know his brother well. I know their relationship well. I know exactly the types of jokes they were telling each other, super corny Midwest jokes. I know exactly how they were laughing. I know the peace that would have existed between them. And the most amazing part is that by that point, my dad was a little bit delirious, didn't have dementia, but he was not always there. Right. And he retold the story with my aunt there too. We actually had to call the nursing home and ask if she had also come to visit him. And they were like, no, it was just his brother, Bill. So he reconciled himself to my aunt himself. In his wow. own mind, which was that's pretty really cool. That's really something, yeah. That's a really precious story. Isn't I it? mean, that's yeah. very, that's, that is the daring part of this, Rachel. <laughs> right? Being able to I tell know. that. Don't yeah. make me cry. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, he deserved it, right? That's, uh, that's how we should all go. Yeah. Well, and that was another thing I was thinking about is I, have heard you read this now several times and um it's clear that you didn't have perhaps the best relationship with your father Mm -hmm. or maybe that you had some conflict with your father and it doesn't matter to me what that was Mm -hmm. you know like we we do have conflict with people and finding our way towards what the forgiveness is in a time exactly. that we can. Um, it's funny because your story makes me think of another moment. Mm. And it's about my grandfather who mm-hmm. I just, I have no love lost for him really. I don't know. Like mm. we just didn't have a great relationship, but you're telling me that story about your dad reminded me um, that I believe like I, I never liked my grandfather all that much. And the older I got, the more I got angry about just not feeling like a, a part of our family. Like I just felt like this extra person somehow I had even, um, confronted him about this. Like, I always feel like we, I didn't belong, like our family didn't belong. That's intense. Um, and he completely denied it, you know, and I can even understand in his mind that it didn't feel that way, but to me it did. Right. So anyways, I think I saw him at, um, at a wedding Mm -hmm. and he was very, very old. He, I, he must've been in his nineties 
when he died. He had always mm-hmm. been really tall, very imposing. He was shrunken. He was right. stooped. He just was the opposite of all the strength and, um, mm-hmm. you know, mean stuff that I remembered of him. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, something to me. And so as I got ready to leave, I hugged him and said goodbye, even though I didn't really want to. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, out of my lips into his ear went, I love you. Oh, and I think that those were the last words I ever spoke to him. Wow. And I thought, I don't think I did love him. Wow. Yet. You were compelled to express it. I was compelled to say that. Now, why do you think? Dare to tell, Michelle. I know. I'm still thinking about it. (laughs) That's actually, that's the piece I'm thinking I might read at some point. I still don't even know what I'm going to read for this podcast. But. But Anyways, I think that story I, I think just so, made me think of that, which is kind exactly. Of and I and for me, I mean, you can tell you know me well enough now, and you can tell enough of my personality listening to me uh, that I I'm not modeling. We didn't. We were very loving family. I always knew I was loved, like to a fault sometimes, yep. right? Like too yep. much attention because he was he felt very disappointed in his life, so he would mm. live through his kids and yeah. Um, and so I we didn't do any of that stuff, but I, it, I think that allowed me, therefore I will not tell you the last words <laughs> that I said to my yeah. father because that's a whole story for another time, but they were, they were about as bad as they get. Like I was screaming wow. bloody murder at him. And it's not because, and it's not the words that came out of my mouth. It wasn't like I was swearing at him or anything like that. It was, it was what I had to call him out on, which was a very tough moment. And, but the thing is I, I, I would never say I had a bad relationship with my dad. I would say he was just a a narcissist through and through and very contentious. So it was everything in interactions with him was difficult for everybody. Oh, like Mm -hmm. a stranger could come off the street and they'd have a bad time with him. So for me, and probably not unlike your grandfather, for me, that meant that I didn't have this complicated sentiment about what that last conversation was or like I joke about Mm -hmm. was I really was even really alive like I didn't need any of that because at the end of the day I I come out of the womb battling him like my the famous story that I think is in my other podcast or my podcast with my mom is um her mother had said about our relationship like this one's not going to put up with your shit (laughs) and I didn't (laughs) and that was okay like Like, he he knew that that's what our relationship entailed like he pulled crap I'd call him on it and we'd be fine so you know I do think that those moments are compelling because we all have been spoon-fed this scripted idea about how families are supposed to feel about each other and how end of life is supposed to go and I really love your the image you brought up of like when you take somebody who in your eyes is either literally a big person like my dad was 250 pounds and not obese like he was a big man tall Mm -hmm. wide um and he had a a patriarchal father german who like you know the lord goes was not very nice to his kids but you get the skip generation effect i knew his his dad and i thought he was great right Right, like he was a nice guy and he fed birds and he has these weird like tricycles that the old people rode down in Arizona. Like we had a great relationship. <laughs> yeah. And, and my son, right. he, he never had anything but a benign right. experience to my dad. Cause he doesn't have that, those childhood memories, the images, the sentiments that you just described with your grandfather in his head. He was like, yeah. oh, it's just kind of some wacky guy that I hang out with. And he like was constantly feeding him 
fish crackers. So the goldfish oh, crackers. Oh, yeah, and yeah. And I was like, ran- he, he was like treated by his son like he was like a seagull or a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> Just so, doling yeah. them out. Doling them out. So, yeah, I totally, I love that story, Michelle. That's, well, I love yours. I, families are funny things. We yes, do dare are. to tell about them. Well, Rachel, I can't dead. thank you. Hi. I know. <laughs> So is true. that fair? I don't know. I, know. <laughs> I don't know. It is. If it is, if it's the truth, we can say we it. We can say it. It's yeah. our truth. Well, thank you so much for sharing this story. I don't know if you have anything else to say, but I am so happy that you read it for me. And this was really fun talking with you. I just, thank you, Michelle. The only thing I have to say is what a delight for my first ever podcast with a super expert who knows what she's doing. Oh. And it's so cool. And I'm so honored. So thank you. Well, right back at you. So that was Rachel Lee. Again, go check out her brand new, just launched website that is loaded with irreverent stories of her own elder caregiving adventures and tons of practical, useful information because she's really into helping others not have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to all kinds of end of life crap just all those details we would prefer not to have to discuss her website again this is getting old.com you stick a dash between each one of those words this is getting old.com as mentioned last week i'd love to get your questions for rachel about her story or something that maybe i overlooked and didn't ask her or other logistical questions you might have for her please email any questions to me i am michelle at michellerado.com that's michelle with two l's and my last name is r-e-d-o next week We are taking a step in a different sort of end of life story with another writer from Nadine's workshop, which brought us all together, Robin Fisher. Robin's memoir, which is not yet published, is a big close up on losing her husband to Lewy body dementia. She allows us a real up-close personal view of what they went through and some very difficult but very beautiful moments that they went through together. I've always believed the the most personal is really the most universal. And I believe that to be true in my own experience of hearing other people's vulnerability I hope you will subscribe to this podcast. Come back again next week. Our episodes drop every Thursday. And as always, thanks for listening. Nothing's gonna break my fall. There's nothing in the protocol. It's like swimming up waterfall or taking away the ground. Taking away the ground. It's like taking away the ground. Say it as if putting up with his shit it. was in quotes. Yep. Um, yep. So that's just how you do it with your voice. My aunt called it for putting up with... Putting up with his shit. Putting up with his shit. <laughs>